Good morning and uh, welcome to our online service. Uh, my name is Eddie and I'm uh, one of the newly appointed elders uh, of Cornerstone Church Liverpool. Um, and I've grown up at Ramleys uh, and Cornerstone um, and um, now I'm here uh, with my family, uh, my wife Catherine and my two daughters, Seren and Maddie. And um, we are, are part of the, the life of the church here. Um, we lead a, a gospel community and I'm involved in the, the kids' church ministry as well and um, as well as the um, mission aspects of the church. And um, it's just such a privilege to be able to, to come to you this morning to, to open God's word and to share with you um, just what God has been teaching me and revealing to me um, through this passage. <clears throat> so I just want to start uh, as we um, consider the, the psalm that we're going to look at and, uh, and just remind us that these psalms that, that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, they are the psalms of praise, songs of praise to our God, um, our Redeemer, our mighty God that, that we love um, and we live for. Um, so that's where we're on is to, to start this morning and, um, and just to, to be reminded that our God is a God for us now and our God is a God for us in the future. And hopefully as we go through the psalm, that's what we're going to see and that's what we're going to learn and um, we'll just be able to love God more through what he teaches us this morning. So I'm just going to read from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honour for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So, as we start this song, we see that it says, it calls for us to sing to the Lord a new song. Now you might be thinking, after 148 Psalms, what new song is there to sing? But we heard Luke last week explaining about the horn of salvation that is raised in Psalm 148, verse 14. Now the writer of this Psalm might be referencing that and writes this Psalm as a record to this experience of salvation. But we can be certain that this new song is a song of salvation. So if that's the case, what is salvation? Salvation is being saved, being rescued, given new life. It's a celebration and it is a hope. We can relate to this as believers, can't we? Think back to when you were saved. What a joy it was to, to know new life and be removed from the sinfulness of your past. It's a time of celebration to enjoy new life and a new and certain hope for the future. Our perspective on life changes. So the way we think changes. The way we talk and the way we act changes. And our responses to actions change as well. We might not literally sing a new song, but our internal narrative is different because of our salvation. Surely this isn't the only new song that we sing. 
Do we only ever have a new song at one point, at that point of salvation? If we do, then maybe we aren't experiencing God's grace as we should. Think about any fresh experiences of God's grace that we have throughout our life. Aren't they moments to sing differently as well? To praise in a new way? As God reveals more of himself to us as we read his word, as we understand more of his majesty and tenderness in responses to prayers in our life and the lives of the church, our praises are shaped by him and to him as we delve deeper into him and his character. Thankfully, we don't have to do this alone, but we do this, as it says there, in the assembly of the godly. It's important that we spend personal time in praise. Of course it is, but we are placed in a community of believers to praise him corporately. We've not been able to experience this for almost a year, but if you remind yourselves of the times when we were able to gather together as a church and as gospel communities, why did we do that? It wasn't just to spend time together to enjoy great music or to enjoy great food, although they all come together as part of it. But we gathered so that we could share in praise, in, so we could share in the praise that we were offering to God. When we gather as an assembly of the godly, we do it to encourage one another with the evidences of God's grace in our lives. We do it to minister and care to each other by our praise. Even times when we haven't wanted to be at the gospel community meeting or a, uh, at a Sunday gathering, there are times when the community completely refreshes us as we experience the praise others are offering to God. And that stirs us to praise as well. We praise and we praise together because we experience and know the love that God has for us. And we want to show him that we know that and we love that. Now the next couple of verses show us the nature and character of God that we are called to praise. In verse 2 it says, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Israel, God's people, celebrate and praise God for he is their maker. He's their creator. Now God's natural creation is immense and we praise him for the wonder and the glory that we see in that. But how much more should we praise him that he created new life in us by his saving grace, gifting us salvation. God creates new life in us through his saving grace and he calls us to him. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. His people, his chosen people, but for what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Be glad and praise God for new life created in you. Verse 2 also says, let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. We're not just glad to be created God's people, but as his people, we are glad to be ruled by him as our king. Now, Zion in the Bible is a name used interchangeably for Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the seat of government and power. 
Think of all the kings and rulers that sat on that throne. Not many of them did well and carried favour with the people of Israel. But in this new song, the children of Zion, God's children, now have a father and king seated on the throne who gives new life, who loves us dearly and rules perfectly. And that assures our new life and makes us flourish. He is the creator and sustainer of our faith and new life. So what other response is there than to praise him? And how should we praise our God? Not just with singing song, but with dancing and music. Now the more charismatic among us are, are amen into that, but the more reserved of us are, are shifting a bit uncomfortably. I know that I'm shifting a bit uncomfortably as I say that, but we shouldn't feel uncomfortable. There are many times in the Bible that God's people danced in response to a victory and a blessing that God had given to them. And we should be moved to appropriate responses of praise and joy as well. I remember in the days after God saved me, I had seemingly boundless energy. I particularly remember being out on a run and it feeling effortless. And I just spent that time praying and praising God. Now, I wasn't dancing, but I was moved by joy in my soul to respond in praise, using my physical energy and using that time just to be with God. Maybe I and we as a church should, should pray as King David does in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. As we experience new grace from God, as it brings us to praise, wouldn't it be amazing to experience each new expression of God's grace as if it was salvation? The joy we'd see, the songs and music that we'd sing, these responses aren't just unashamed because nobody is there to see us singing and dancing, but these are true and appropriate responses to our maker, father and king, and they are praises with our whole being. But for what purpose do we praise God? Because he's the God of the universe. He's the Alpha and the Omega, perfect in holiness and righteousness. He's all knowing, all being, all seeing. He doesn't need our praises to exist or even to survive. We've got nothing to give that he needs. So what purpose is it that we praise God? If we read verse four, it says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. It pleases God that we praise him. It gives him pleasure to hear the praise of his people because it is our recognition to him that we love him and we love what he has done for us. We heard in Psalm 147 a couple of weeks ago, in verse 11, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. He takes pleasure in those people. Now, it's a kind of cycle, isn't it, that, that starts with God. He loves us and he saves us. So we respond in praise and joy to him. And God hears that praise. And so, then we read and experience that God takes pleasure in his people praising him. And that stirs us to praise him more and again, over and over. And he takes pleasure in that. It all starts and returns to God because he deserves our praise. It's nothing, nothing that we have done. 
What can we do to save ourselves? What do we do to save ourselves? Nothing. We don't deserve any praise for it. We don't bring anything to God that he needs. All that we do is get down before God and acknowledge that he is God. We acknowledge that we can't do anything for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. So he saves us and we must praise him for it. As we humble ourselves before him, recognizing our helplessness and need, what is God's response? If we read in verse four, we see that his response is that he adorns the humble with salvation. Now the word adorn can be read as glorify or beautify. We are no longer looked at by God as the broken, sinful people that we are. We are glorified or lifted up in our humility to a, pish, <laughs> to a position achieved by Jesus. We are made beautiful in the way that Jesus' perfect sinlessness is beautiful to God. We remove ourselves from the throne of our lives and we recognise that Jesus is the King that is truly to be seated there. And in that moment, we are made beautiful as we are gifted our salvation. Now, whatever perspective we look at this from, we should be moved to praise. We should be moved to glorify God for the work that he has done. And Spurgeon says this about these verses. When God himself beautifies a man, he becomes beautiful indeed and beautiful forever. The verse may be read, he shall beautify the humble with salvation or he shall beautify the afflicted with deliverance or he shall beautify the humble with victory. And each of these readings gives a new shade of meaning well worthy of quiet consideration. Each reading also suggests new cause for joyful adoration. O oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. What a beautiful perspective as we look at those different ways of, what, of how we are made beautiful. And there's only one response. Praise to the Lord. God takes so much pleasure in his people that he does the most amazing thing. He sends his son, his only beloved son, in whom he is well pleased, so that his people can share in that. Because of Jesus, God now takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in his own perfect son, Jesus. We can only truly sing and praise him if we have received the blessing of salvation. That only comes through humility before the Creator King. Recognition of our need of a saviour, repentance of our sin and disobedience, and acceptance of our saviour. This is a new song. It occurred at the death and resurrection of Jesus. This wasn't a false dawn of salvation as seen many times before. Hope placed in human leaders, however godly they were. This was hope placed in a resurrected king, the one who was worthy. All of creation joined in this new song of the resurrection as Christ was raised. And in Revelation 5 verses 7 to 10, we read John's vision of this moment in the future as Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the redeemer, takes the scroll from the hand of God and those in his presence sing this new song. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Again in verse 5 we are encouraged to celebrate the glory and honour that we now have that God has gifted to us. If we take consideration of what we have received by God adorning us with salvation, new life, a certain hope, forgiveness of all our sins, being raised up with Christ to share his blessings. This is true for all of those in Christ. And we have to do this even on our beds. This is a picture of us not just using our communal time together as a time of praise, but our whole lives being a time of praise. When we are on our beds at rest, that's the general purpose of sleep, isn't it? We switch off to refresh and restore ourselves to start the next day. This verse isn't saying not to sleep and not to get that rest. It is telling us that we can rest because of the work of Christ and our newly gifted honour. And it is restful for us to praise God. It refreshes us and restores our souls as we recognise God's gift to us, his work in our lives and the evidences of his grace in our life. We need the joy from our salvation to rest peacefully. And at times when we can't put our head on a pillow and rest peacefully, it's our joy being stolen from us that stops us being able to rest. It's the sin of the world overwhelming us. But it, it is our joy in God and his salvation that allows us to rest peacefully. And that comes as we see his grace in our lives. This is the one thing that I particularly enjoy and stands out for me that we do as a church. And we do it regularly in our gospel communities as well. We take time to recognise the evidences of God's grace in our lives. You know, it's easy to get caught up in a cycle of just asking God for things. But as a church, we regularly take time to look for those evidences of God's grace. To thank God. To praise him for what he is doing in our lives and the lives of the church. And I'm so encouraged each time that we do that. It is refreshing and it changes my perspective from, from downward facing to raising my view upward to be thankful and joyful. Although we can't rest knowing that our salvation is assured, we are still called to work for the Lord. And that is not easy. That work is it's like a fight. And we read in verse 6, Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands. This is where we start to look forward to our future hope, Christ's final victory, but there is still work to be done. I hope as you join the, the service this morning that you, you know, you grabbed your sword. Yes, we sing praises to God and celebrate our joy. And as we celebrate and praise, 
God's name is proclaimed, but we're also striving and fighting against the effects of sin in our world. We are fighting the effects of sin in our own hearts and lives as well, and the world around us. Thankfully, this is not a physical battle, and we don't have to hold a sharp steel in our hands as we go about our day, but we are provided with the sharpest of two-edged swords, the word of the Lord. And we use that to fight the spiritual battle that we are in. And we can read in Hebrews verses four, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning that the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We know ourselves that the gospel of grace has cut deep in our own hearts. It has exposed and wounded gravely the sin within us. And we continue to rely on the word and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to put to death the sin within us. We know its power and should be willing to wield that as we live our lives for the sake of the people we love. We want the word in our hands to expose the evil in the world. And we want it to expose the sin in people's lives. And with that, we want to proclaim with our mouths the goodness of God, his mercy and grace towards those people as well. We are well equipped for the battle then. We know the victory is assured because we read it in the word of God. We believe Christ has overcome the power of death at his resurrection. And we see this battle that was fought and won. And we believe that Christ will return to destroy all evil. We can read this in Revelation 19. With all that we know and believe, this is why we praise as we battle on. Because we fight for the victorious King. As we wait for Christ to return, we fight on to push back the darkness and to draw more people in to join in the praise and the songs that we sing. In the next few verses, seven to nine, we see the punishment that is coming for those who deny God though. We should also remember that these were the punishments due to us before the grace of God was shown us. But now we are adorned with salvation. We are saved from the just and deserved punishment that Christ will deliver on his return. The verses almost read as though we shall be delivering the punishments upon people with our two-edged swords. But let's be clear, we are not to act in vengeance and judgment because we're in no position to deliver those things. Only God is right to enact any punishment upon sin. So why have this connection to God's people wielding their swords in this way? This is what Israel would have done, and we read about in the Old Testament. God giving them victory over his and their enemies. God created a people for himself to display his glory to, and also to display his glory through. This was Israel, and it is now all those people who call him king. And so we, as his people, who he has displayed, his glory too. We go to those who reject him so that they can see his glory through us with his word that exposes and delivers grave wounds to their sin, but it also delivers it with abundant mercy and grace.
Just take a look at our own lives. This is the punishment we deserve. I even think about how I was saved. I grew up in a Christian home and within the Assembly of God at Ramley Road Church. I was exposed to the gospel and the praise of God by his people. Yet I was sat under this judgment. I was sat under this judgment until the age of 21. And at that time, God revealed to me his grace, showing me that all this punishment I deserved was placed upon Jesus. And in his death, burial and resurrection, I was given the honour only Jesus deserved. Consider your family, your friends, your colleagues and neighbours. We take the gospel to them. The offer of mercy and grace. And we do that in a hope that it will cut deep and they will see their sin and they will come to repentance so that the punishment we see in these verses won't happen to them. We hope that their sin will be wounded by the gospel, that God will adorn them with the beauty of salvation and they will be alongside us in victory, praising the king as he delivers the mortal blows to the evil one that we read in Revelation. We don't want to see anyone that we love on the receiving end of God's wrath. Now I'm always drawn to think about my brother and sister and their families when I read passages like this. I love them dearly, but this is their future as they reject God. I'm burdened to be more missional to them, to take the gospel to them, to share how much God loves them. I just wonder who are the people in your life who at this time that this is their future as well. Let's go to them with God's praise on our lips and his word in our hands so that they can join us and celebrate as God's children as we bring praise to him. Now we can look at the second half of this passage with some fear and sadness as we see what is to come. But we see the truth in the words as well. There are sinful nations and people there are proud leaders and rulers and there will be this time of punishment and people brought down because of their sin and their rejection of God. Sometimes we just want to block these truths out because they make us feel uncomfortable. But we know and experience the effects of sin in the world and we know that it's not right. The revelation of God's glory is terrifying but it is also magnificent. This world isn't the perfection that God created and it's not because of the effects of sin. So we trust that when he reveals his full glory that he will make everything right and perfect again. But the second half is in marked contrast from the first half which shows us some of the present time of the joy and celebration that we have because of God. We see God's people rejoicing Peace in his people, rest found in God, an abundant blessing to the humble. And that is all done with praise because of the salvation that he graciously gives. The only way this is possible for sinful people like me and like you is because of Jesus. Because he was willing to humble himself and become like us. 
taken on human form. Jesus was God's gift of salvation to proud, sinful people who only deserve the judgment that we read in these verses. But Christ was willing to be made like us, to take the judgment and punishment that we deserved so that we may be adorned with his salvation and glorified with him. It is all because of Jesus that we can live our lives out in praise to the Lord and we don't have to fear the judgment that we deserve anymore. God was a God of salvation and victory to the people of Israel over and over again in the Old Testament. He is a God of salvation and victory to people from every tongue, tribe and nation now and in the future. And when Jesus returns, he will bring the ultimate and final salvation and victory to his people. And I just want to read that passage from Revelation verse 19, uh, chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on their white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus coming for the final victory to destroy all the effects of evil and sin in this world, to bring a people to himself that he, so that he may reign as the true and only king. So we see both in the present and the future, God deserves the praise that we bring him. As we experience our salvation, as we have new experiences of God's grace each day, we can sing that new praise, that new song of praise to him, our maker and king. As we saw in verse four, God takes pleasure in giving his people salvation. And we see in verse nine, as Christ's judgment is completed and the final victory is won, he honours all his godly ones. We, re we receive undeserved honour from Christ. As we receive Christ's honour that he has achieved from the final victory over sin and the evil one, we are then glorified with him. To that there is only one response. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that as we see here that you work salvation in our lives and that changes us, that reforms us, that, make, that gives us new life. It makes us more like your son, Christ Jesus. But it is only because of him that we have that new life, that we have that salvation and that you look upon us as you look upon your son. And Father, I just pray that as we go about our lives, recognising that, that we are able to sing this song of praise, that it is done with our whole being, and that it was done every day of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we use it to take to people so that they may be drawn into your kingdom as well. 
that you will reveal to them the sin that they have in their lives and that you will expose that to them, that they may come and recognize you as their God and Savior, that they may ask for your forgiveness. But Father, we thank you that your victory is assured, that our hope is certain in that victory and that we receive so much from it that that just changes us and we sing this song daily. We thank you and we praise you, God. Amen.